Good evening to everyone here and those online. A few announcements as you're getting settled in. I'm going to read a couple, one large scripture of uh, celebration of Advent and uh, a couple announcements though. First, uh, coming up here, CareNet is having their Christmas uh, open house this Thursday, tomorrow, uh, December 7th. And you can come anytime between 6 and 8 here in, uh, in the Watertown location. So I encourage you to go see that uh, great work that God is doing through there. Also up, coming up here is Teen Night. That's 13 years and older. It's going to be on the 8th. That's going to be the uh, Friday night at 6.30 p.m. here at the church. So I encourage those 13 and up uh, to come. And then uh, also a reminder of the pink. Uh, ladies Christmas tea coming up here Saturday, December 16th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. So grab that flyer and invite friends, uh, ladies, to, uh, to come in and join that. As we uh, get settled here, we're in the first Samuel, but I'm going to read, a, a, because of Advent here, uh, if you remember, God has given many promises in the Old Testament of the first coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. Uh, we see that clearly in the scripture um, in multiple places uh, in regards to that promise. Uh, but we're going to start that promise uh, here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you would like to open up to um, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 through 16, I'm going to, to read that uh, through, and then we will get into the first uh, first Samuel uh, chapter 29 tonight. The promise of the seed to David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus say the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously." since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and the blows of the sons of man. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Father, we thank you for your promise and your word. The promise of the seed of David to David, Lord, of uh, the coming Messiah, you, Lord Jesus Christ. 
and establishing a place for your, the nation of Israel. Again, Lord, as we open up your word this evening in 1 Samuel, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to just move in the hearts of your people. May they all be hearts willing and desiring to hear your truth this evening. That they come not to just come, not to just listen, but to come and listen and to, uh, to assimilate, to bring into themselves, into the truths that you have in your word and apply it to their lives. Speak to their hearts, Lord. Encourage, uh, as the believers, encourage your, your sons and daughters, Lord, this evening. Uh, and have your way with each of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open to 1 Samuel chapter 29, where we will be picking back up where we left off. We only have three more chapters. I did not try to take all three tonight. It's going to be along for just two alone. But 29 wasn't enough. That would have been, you know, 15 minutes or so, and we would have been, well, I guess for me, it could have been longer. But, but uh, we're going to go two chapters here this evening. The title is Rejection to Victory. That's what we will see in these two chapters. A time in his David's life, uh, it was not a good place for him in his life here in chapter 29. It's been uh, for a few chapters now. But we're going to see even, even the enemy rejects David in a situation. He's, he, the man's at a low point, and God has allowed that to, to have this man go to a low point to be able to get his attention, to transform or to change his life. And we're going to see it in these two chapters, a change in his life uh, that was one that was not in line with God. And God had not let go of him. As much as he'd flee and was doing things that were not good and, and going through the highs and lows of the emotions and spiritual walk and everything, God didn't let him go. And that's the, that's the grace and the mercy of our God. He, he won't let us go as a child of God. And, uh, but he will allow things in our lives and allow you to do things so that it can bring you. We'll see an interesting tonight with David. It brings him to a very low point. And I pray that none of us have to get to this low point in our life to finally wake us up and get us out of thinking we know what's best for our lives and go back to what God is, uh, what's, what's his, God's perfect will in our lives. So we see here in 1 Samuel 29, Verse 1, we'll take first, let's say, just take a couple of verses here, three verses, and we'll chat a little bit about those here. It says, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphak, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at, at the rear of Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. Now it's interesting. Here's the future king of Israel, a calling on his life, and he's 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 hanging and, and living in the with the Philistines and hanging out, and uh, and it's not where he's supposed to be. 
If you're a child of God, the last thing you're supposed to be is living in the world and, uh, and like acting like the world here. And we find this is very clear that the Philistines are gathering together to go against the Israelites, against the Jews here. And the battle lines were drawn. There's no question here. In the previous chapter, if you remember, it's when the Philistines made a deep attack. They went deep within the Israelite territory, if you remember. And the Philistines intended to deliver a severe blow, a death blow to the Israelites because they saw that it was very vulnerable because there was a division within the, within the, in the, the nation. There was, a, there was at odds between Saul and David. And Saul was ta- chasing David. They were not in order. And the enemy watches these things. And once they see that they're distracted and not on guard, fully watching, the enemy will strike you. Practically of a nation, but also spiritually. When you're distracted by these things, fighting within the nation, fighting within the church, fighting within the family, fighting within relationships, that is when your enemy's like, great, they're, they're not watching. I'm about to strike. The lion's just watching. He's just ready to strike when he can. And he will not strike you normally because you're distracted fighting against other people. You're not supposed to be fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness of this world. And, and as you're diverted over here and fighting against flesh and blood because of, of, of whatever reason, it doesn't matter what the reason is. You can justify in your life that you think it's a good reason. It's not a good reason. God says do not do that. And while you're doing that, he's not going to touch you. He's going to touch your family. He'll touch your friends. He'll touch everyone around you while you're distracted over and not staying focused and following God. You're going to be over here and distracted doing your little thing. And over here, the enemy's going to come in and strike. And we see that here in the nation of Israel. Here's Saul and them are all divided. And, and the Philistines saying, perfect, we'll go deep within the, the nation of Israel and we're going to take them out. We, we can take a severe blow to them. But, interesting, look at the verses here, that the lords of the Philistines passed in review. You know, if you've been in the military, you do pass in review. You're taking a look at the army. What, who's here? What's showing up? Are we ready to go to battle? And they're like, wait a minute. What, what, what's David and the Hebrews doing here? They're, they're not Philistines. They're Hebrews. We're going to go attack the Hebrews. Why are that? This doesn't make us feel comfortable. These, these ungodly, wicked people, these Philistines, the, the lords of the Philistines, were smart enough to sense this is not right. This is not good. The Hebrews should not be in camp with us to then go against them. They could turn on us at any time. They're not going to be fully for us. They could actually turn against us. David is among the Philistines. Why? Because David, because he was so discouraged with what was going on within the nation against Saul, that he was willing to run. Instead of dealing with the issue as best as he can and let the Lord deal with that, no, he's choosing, I'm just going to go, even if it means going into the world and going to enemy territory, anything to get away from of these people. So he left the people of God and the land of Israel and cast his lot and said, I'm going to the Philistines. We saw that in chapter 27. David now finds himself in a place he thought he would never be among the ungodly, ready to fight against God's people. That's how the enemy works. He takes you out here and you're turning against God. You're talking away from God. You're out there doing your own little things and going everywhere else in the world. Eventually, you're actually going against God's people after a while. That's how the slippery slope happens. 
But you see clearly the Philistines, these lords of the Philistines, looked at David and said, okay, wait a minute, this, this, something doesn't line up here. I can see this. David couldn't see it. He was blinded to the fact that the decisions, leaning on his own understanding and thinking this is all good because he's, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do and get away from here and all these emotions that he's going off of. He's thinking, but he's blinded. He doesn't even see the fact that he's going down and in, 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 into the bad territory. But the Philistine leaders could see what David was blind to. David started to think and act like the Philistines and was ready to fight with them against the people of God. But the Philistine leaders could see this wasn't right, even when David couldn't. And the Philistines knew that who David was really was. He knew he was a Hebrew. They haven't forgotten that he took out Goliath and, went to, and wiped out many of, 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 the, of, of their people. They haven't, they haven't forgotten this. And now they're actually in there? See, it's very terrible when the children of the world have a higher sense of Christian position than the Christians themselves. And they say to one another, uh, we're out here drinking and having a party and getting drunk. Why is that Christian? Didn't he say he was a Christian? Why is he hanging with us in the bar here? Didn't he just say and tell us about Jesus and, and, and saying that he's, God is doing a work in his life and, and he's telling us to come to church? Why is he out there watching the porn and, and going out to the dances and going to drinking and, and, and carousing? Why? That, even non-believers look at you and go, that doesn't line up with us. You're trying to tell us to walk away from it, but then we find yourself, you're right in the middle and talking and cussing and swearing and acting like you're just part of one of us. I, that, even non-believers see that that doesn't line up. And so why so many Christians will sit there and they are so blinded because they just want to be accepted or they just want to be part of it and they, they just don't know how to... Because they're just, they've walked away from the things of God. They've walk, walked away from this word. And so what you're going to do is, if you walk away from God, you're walking right back into the world. But he called them out. Isn't this David to Achish, the leader? They're asking, wait a minute, he's not supposed to be here. What's going on here? He's not coming. He's not coming. We're, we have all the armies. We're not accepting this. He's not coming. But here, Achish it realizes the lords of the Philistines, the princes of the Philistines, that like, no, no, this is not going to happen. So he had to confront David and tell him. He, even, he tried to convince him. He's been so with me. He's defected to me. He's been days. It's been years. He, I find no fault in him. That's a very scary part when you see a leader of the world look at your life and tell everyone around, I haven't seen him act. He's, he has no fault. He's, he's just like one of us. I don't see anything that I could, I'm concerned. I found no fault in this man. That's a scary thing. When you, I always say, Lord, please. If I, I'm out in the world. I'm, I'm sitting here working, and I'm out there working, and I'm on people who are non-believers. They, they, they should distinctly see a difference in me and how I speak and how I address and my response and what I'll tolerate and not tolerate. People should start going, something's different, and eventually they should know clearly that I'm a Christian and I'm not going to do it and say those things. But David was blending pretty well. To hear an ungodly ruler 
say that David has been with me? I find no fault in him? You would think that would be a great wake-up call for David. You would think that would be smack him right in the side of the head going, what did I just hear? <laughs> the enemy that I wanted to kill and I'm supposed to remove, God wanted me to remove these people from the land. I'm now acceptable. It says, if any ungodly co-worker insisted to others that you really weren't a Christian after all because you just, they look at your life and you're just like them. So they're like, he can't be a Christian because it doesn't line up. But it's also important to see that Achish wasn't just making this up. David said himself there in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, and Achish had reason to believe that David would fight with him against his own people. So what happened, verse 4? But the princes of the Philistines were angry with them. So the princes of the Philistines said to them, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him, which is a, some land separate, uh, Ziglag, uh, Ziglag that's, tell him to go back to that land you have set apart for him. And do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, meaning Saul? He might reconcile and try to get back on the good side of him and turn on us just to get favor, to get back into favor with him. So he might you know, reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of, the, of these men. Is this not David? of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousand. We know what this man is capable of doing. And we don't need someone in the inner camp to wipe us out. That's the last thing we need. So they didn't trust David at all. They feared him, no question. They were not taking him, and there was a hard line there. And Achish recognized it because it wasn't going to happen. But uh, if you remember when he took out Goliath, that was clearly a faith-filled victory. By faith, he knew God was with him, and he, he took out the giant. But that seems such a distant memory for David. He's now finding himself in a backslidden state, Living in the world, living like the world, and even pushing and going against your own people. But the Philistines didn't forget. They remembered it very well. They remembered the song that was being sung about him. So what happened? This is where God allows things to happen to get a man's attention who's backslidden and is doing his own thing. Look what happens. Verse 6, then Achish called David and said to him, Surely, as the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out and you're coming in with me in the, in the army. In the army is good in my sight, for to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, turn now and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So he had to make his... Pretty straightforward. You, you can't come. We can't upset the, the, the lords of the, you know, the princes of the Philistines here. This can't happen. You can't live in both worlds. 
You can't say you're a Christian and live as a non-Christian. You can't live as a Hebrew and then live in the Philistine camps and, and act like them. It, that does not go. That does, it's very conflicting. Now David feels rejected even then. He's been rejected everywhere he goes. I mean, this has been an emotional roller coaster for him. He's been rejected, 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 and even the enemy's now rejecting him. David has no home. He has no place to go. He's trying to live in both worlds, and when you try to live in both worlds, you never fit in in either place. So he has no home in either world that he's chosen to do, and it was his own choice. Remember that. He chose that. So no doubt David didn't like being rejected by the Philistine rulers, but he should have rejoiced in the fact that the enemy was rejecting him. I under, you, know, you have to understand, no one likes rejection. None of us likes rejection. But God would use the rejection of ungodly people in David's life to get David to stop being a backslidden and come back to the purpose God has had for him, and that was to be king. And he's going to use this for God's glory. He's going to take a really bad situation here and turn it into, into to, to, to goodness, a good thing, a glory of God for doing and transforming this man. And, and sometimes some men are so hard and so determined that God has to go to extreme levels of allowing things to happen in their life to get them to finally just follow God. See, many people are hesitant to live out, to live out, just flat out live for Jesus Christ. Because they're actually, if they say, I, today we're going to live for God. For me and my house, we were going to serve the Lord. We worship that. That was the verse that I, Kathleen and I said, that was our changing point in our family for for me and in my house, we were going to serve the Lord. And that was it. That was the drawing of the line. There was no question. Nothing else was going to stop us from doing what God's called us to do. But if you're not making the decisions and you're not committed by the word of God showing you this is what he wants you to do and stay committed to that. David played in the thing where he was afraid of the rejection of the ungodly. So how much better it is to, to be all out for Jesus and to trust that if the ungodly rejects us, God will use it for good. For God and for, the, and for theirs. God, you have to trust God in these things. See, David was in the worst place for any child of God. And you've heard this said, and I can't remember who it was. He had too much of the world in him to be at peace in the Lord. And he had too much of the Lord in him to be at peace in the world. And God was going to speak to David through this situation. But I said, you've got, you, you can't displease them. You've got to get out. You've got, and you look at here what happens in verse 8. So David said to Achish, But what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, 
The princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now therefore rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So he's saying, pack your bags, because <laughs> in the morning when it's barely, the sun is coming up, early rise, you're out of here. You and all 600 guys get in families out of here. Don't wait a moment. So David and his men, verse 11, rose early and departed in the morning and to return to the land of the Philistines, that was a land that the Ziklag that was set apart for them. And, and, uh, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. They were going to go into the battle because now David has left and went back to where the, he needed to be. Again, this should be a wake-up call for David. When you see these things happening in our lives where you're going down a path where you shouldn't be going and you know you're not going because inside you know this is not right. But you get become blinded when you backslide. You become very clouded and you really are so focused on leaning on your own understanding and emotions and all these things. You don't go back to really asking God. Everything you think is of God is telling you to do this. But it's really not. That's where David is. Even cast a lot to see, if, okay, this is what, where in his right mind did he end up casting a lot? Just because he did a godly thing doesn't make it a godly thing. <laughs> you know, casting a lot. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're asking me to go to the Philistines. No, he's not. You're just, the, the Lord showed me. The Lord talked to me. You know, we, do, we do it all the time to justify what you're looking to do. And David finds himself in a very bad position because he had a mindset like that. But all these events, being rejected, rejected, can't do here, can't go there, so you'd think that would wake him up and say, Lord, something's not right. But at no point in these last few chapters have you seen David go to God at all about anything. He's just talking to himself in his head. He's not talking to God. He's not getting good counsel. Remember, Samuel's gone now. He's, he, you know, he's on between him and God. It's just him and God. But he wasn't listening. Now in verse chapter 30, we see now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill, any, kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So look at the change here. Look what happened. All this is happening up here. They're, they're not at Ziklag. They're out going to go to war against th their own people. They get rejected. Thank God. God is working things out. He, God made sure they got rejected to go back to Ziklag. Back to where the families are that are at. These 600 men with David are now heading back to the families who were camped out at Ziklag. Now keep that in mind. If they went to war, notice that they went to war, they would have been gone for a while. Don't forget this timing here. But God cut that short and had them go back soon. And as soon as he starts heading back, look what happened in these first two verses of chapter 30. The Amalekites came in and invaded not only the south, but Ziglag, um, and attacked and not and burned down their home where where their people are and 
They took David and his men's women and children and all their stuff and they left, but they did not kill them. God didn't allow them to kill them, but carried them away. Now notice that it's very important if you think about it on that third day. So it's only been three days long enough, but not long enough where things cannot be turned around. So when David and his men were to the north trying to join the Philistine army, his own city was now being attacked and was unguarded because all the men were gone. This was an opportunistic Amalekite moment because they knew where the Hebrews went to or David went up to and left them vulnerable. So they knew that this was the time to strike when everyone was distracted in the north. Not only was the city burned, but all their women and children were taken there. I mean, think about the, the impact this is going to have. And David is the one that brought this calamity, this destruction upon him. Remember, you reap what you sow. Think about back in chapter 27, verses 8 through 11. What was David doing? He was leaving Ziglag, him and his men, going out like bandits. And, 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 and they went into these towns and they wiped them out. But they killed all the people and took all the, the loot, all the, the animals and everything else. The Amalekites had showed more mercy toward the people of Ziklag, the, the Hebrews, the families, is showing more mercy than David and his men showed on the enemy's families. God, who is a great, great in mercy, does not discipline us as much as we deserve. Like a, like a passionate father who lightens his, his, uh, his correction Showing kindness and love. Showing mercy. God is going to show mercy here to David to get his, his, his attention. Watch what happens. Verse 3 through 6. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. 601 men weeping to such a depth of pain and suffering, recognizing they're coming back to find their wives, their, their children, and everything, their place, their home, absolutely wiped out and destroyed. That's all they saw. All they know is what they saw. They were gone. They, they were totally wiped out. They just broke they broke. David's two wives, Ahinamam and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Why? They turned on him. It's your fault. Why are we even up there? What are we doing when no one was guarding here? You can see why they turned on David. Even his, now his, his trusted 600 men who had been following him literally are turning on him and said, you're going to die. We're going to stone you. 
Why? Because of the soul of the people was so was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Underline that. Very key verses right here. Because here we find they're heading back. They're, they're told to go back. They've been rejected. They can't do it. Now we're going to do. What are we going to do, David? We're going back home. We're going to see family. They're expecting as they get closer, 600 men are going to make some noise. The family's going to see David and the men coming. They're going to come out. The kids are going to come out and greet them. The wives are going to come out and greet them. They're always like, wow, you're back. You didn't go to war. What happened? You can see that conversation happening. But none of that happened. Matter of fact, they're going to see smoke. They're going to see destruction. They're going to see no one responding, no one coming, no voice. They knew something was deeply wrong. That was no barbecue going on that they saw from a distance waiting for them to come. This was absolutely burning with fire the whole entire city. And no one's coming. From a distance. We can't even imagine. I hope we never imagine the depths of the pain that would be to see such destruction. All was lost. David had nothing more to support him. No one in Israel could help him. His own trusted men were rejecting him, wanted to kill him. He had no place to, to go back to live. His, his wives are gone. His kids are gone. Everything's gone. Everything, everything. He has been absolutely wiped out completely. But many times for people who are in a backslidden state, David, a person needs to become a prodigal son who sits in the pig pen and lost everything finally come to their senses that they had everything with God. And now they have nothing because they turned their back on God. They went back to live in the world looking for the gain of the world. The pleasures of the world. But notice at the very end of verse 6 but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That is the key for someone who is in a backslidden, in a dark place, who feels just like he's lost everything or she's lost everything. He did the right thing. David chose to strengthen himself in the Lord his God. It took a lot to bring David to that place. But now, here he is. God is his only strength. He is the only one you can turn to. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is the backslidden, wayward David here. Some people would say, well, why would God even want to strengthen David? Look how he's rejected God. Why would God even strengthen this man? Why would he even listen to this man? Well, because God is rich in mercy and grace. Because God has now taken David and was now completely broken and ready to be filled with God. 
Sometimes God has to take you to the very end of yourself to finally be able to be willing to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be empowered by God to do what God's called you to do. Sometimes we think we have to achieve great blessing or strength. No, no. Do what David, David shows us another way. David just strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He received the strength from God. He was bold enough to ask God. God, please come back into my life. Come, come upon me. Come back in my life. I need you, God. I receive, Lord, I, I receive you, please. Restore my life. Don't take the spirit away from me, Lord. Before this moment of breakage, he didn't see himself as weak. He didn't see himself weak. Yes, rejected. He could probably rationalize that. But when he came home to a burned out ghost town, David knew he was weak and needed God's strength. See, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. His strength came from God and he strengthened himself from God. He didn't turn to someone else, his friends, even his spouse or anybody. His spouse was gone. But everyone was gone. Even He had no one to turn to. He needed to do what was right. You needed to turn to God. He didn't wait for someone else to strengthen him. Why didn't anyone come and encourage me? Why didn't anyone come and strengthen me? Why didn't anyone help me through this? Why didn't this? And you're always looking and blaming. Why didn't someone else? No, no. You're not supposed to be turning to other people. You need to be turning to God and let God turn to God's strength. That is what we're to do. David knew that the Lord's strength was there for those who wait upon the Lord. And he did. He strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. This wasn't some kind of positive thinking, self-talk method or programs that many churches even today will try to teach and sling out there. Program after program after program. That's how you're going to get out of drugs. That's how you're going to change the way you live, how you think, and all these things. They're throwing it out everywhere, even in the churches today. No, no. We don't turn to this positive thinking, self-talk kind of methods and programs. Our strength has to come from the living God to have a long-term, lasting Inner man, inner woman transformation. Has, the strength has to come from the Lord and Lord alone. Because when that strength of the, comes from the living God, it will become so real and so true in the heart of a hurting, hurting man, it will bring comfort and bring the strength that that man needs. The strength of recognizing that he's not alone, God is with him. That strength of, of 
of needing from a brokenness of in his life, that will come from God. The strength of repentance, the, the ability to come through in that repentance and that change of life. And that is by the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit will bring life to a broken man. So how did David strengthen himself in the Lord? What does that mean practically? First, David could remember God's love. When you're at a total loss, total destruction in your life, David can see the love of the Lord in the rejection of the Philistine leaders. If he went to war, they would have never been there to, within three days to see what has happened. You'll see why. Because if God had not sent him back home, through that rejection of the Philistine lords, it would have been months before he coming back and the family would have been months gone. It would have been far worse than what we will exceed. And the bitterness of now setting potentially in him before now becomes very sweet. When, the minute, when you're broken and things are really bad, it can, can be very bitter. It can be really difficult. But that can turn to sweet once you put your eyes and come to and draw the strength from the Lord and recognize God's love does not change. David knew God's love. Do you know God's love? Do you know you're loved? Because if you don't really have that solid that God loves you when you go through difficult times, that is one of the first things you must draw in. And when no one's around you, you're completely abandoned. Nothing seems, no one cares. Nothing, whatever those emotions and feelings and realities is happening, you need to know that God loves you. It has to be the foundation for us. The second thing that David had to do is he had to go back into his remembrance and remember that God's promise and calling. He had to go back to what he does know. He has to go back to the foundation. No, God, you've called me to be the king of Israel. You've called me to follow you. You've called me to lead your people. Go back to the calling. We come to the table. We go to communion. We come back to the table. We take that cracker. We take that juice. We come back to our remembrance of God's love for us and what his promises are for us. Do you know the word of God and his promises he has for you? If you don't, then you don't have a good, solid foundation when you go through difficulty. Because when you're in the depths of darkness, of just brokenness, and just it can be very foggy and you cannot see things very clearly. It takes a little bit of a moment for David to sit there and remember, I am a man anointed by God, a called by God, a promised by God. I am to be the next king of Israel. These thoughts were not going to come to him until he realized that God loves him and God has a purpose in his life. And if you don't get that settled by the word of God in your life, you're going to be really struggling through difficult times. 
And he also, his third thing he has to remember is he has to remember that God brought him through very many difficult times in the past. You're supposed to remember God's past deliverance in your life. You've got to, you shouldn't forget those things. When he delivers you through these things, you should be writing them down so you don't forget. Journal those moments where God take you through some really deep, dark times. He could sit there, I know this is really bad. This is horrible, worst thing that could happen in my life. But God, you've brought me through this. You're going you're to comfort me and strengthen me to bring me through this. this I, I, don't, I don't know how, but you're going to do it. I just know, because you've brought me through some really deep times. And it's these moments where God is really to begin to bring a cure to the disease that is happening in David's life. That disease of bitterness, the, the distress and the, the rejections and the, 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 all the emotions, all these things and all the abandonments and all this craziness in his life that's been going on for some time now. God says, I can come in and cure that. Just remember, I love you. Just remember, I have promises and a calling on your life. Just remember, I have delivered you many times over. Now I'm trying to encourage you, David. We must understand I will be there with you. In this moment, write down 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 19 and 20. Do you know why that's important? Because in, in those verses, David had a reason for encouragement. Why? Because men from the tribe of Manasseh came to him at this time and stood with him when others turned on David. God had sent some brothers. But that's not mentioned here as an encouragement at David at all here and here because God, he totally just committed his life to, to drawing his strength and his focus on God and he did not think about anybody else except doing what, just coming to God. God then orchestrated and brought the necessary people. In this case, we see in the scripture, he brought a tribe of Manasseh, some men to, to encourage him. What did David say in his heart back in chapter 27, verse 1, that got him into this starting, this rolling effect down the hill of, of into this mess that he found himself? He said to himself to strengthen himself in the Lord. He he, 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 he just made a decision, I'm not seeking the Lord, I'm rejecting the Lord by going his own way. That's what started this thing. Now he's flipped that, now when he's broken, and says, now I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. I'm going to turn to the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord. And it brings us back to Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. John 7, 37, at the end, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. We have that, my brothers and sisters, to be able to turn to when we find ourselves in some dark places. Verse 7, then David said to Abathar, Abathar the priest, the Amalekite's son, bring, please bring the ephod here to me, and Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, 
pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Now that must have been the most encouraging words to this broken man. He didn't sit there and say to the men, men, I'm so mad, I'm so bitter, I, they, they attacked us, we're now going to wipe them out and everything plus some. I don't care what we're going to do, we're going to have revenge and we're just going to take them out. That's what worldly people, ungodly people think. No, no, David turned to the Lord, he, David drew strength, strengthened himself in the Lord and his God, and now he comes to this point where he has to, what do I do? He turns to God, now it is time to do something with the strength that the Lord has given him to stop completely being wiped out from the bitter crying and, and, and just brokenness, and you can picture all these men curled up, just lost complete strength. In grief, in anguish. But God strengthened him. He's now up and he's saying, okay, Lord, what do I do now? Do I go? He didn't go say, I'm going, Lord. Now encourage me and give me the strength. Get all these other men up. It didn't matter if any 600 men. I'm going. No, he said, Lord, do, is that what I am to do? I, he inquired, shall I pursue this truth? Shall I overtake them? Shall, tell me what to do. And God said, pursue. Not only did he say pursue, and I don't think if God said just said pursue, that's all, he, David still would have gone. But he gave him more than that. He said, pursue, so you shall surely overtake them. And then he gave him the promise, a guarantee, without fail, you will recover all. That's encouragement. But he called, said to the high priest, go get through your ephod, bring it here. And the priest with the ephod, especially, has the Urim and Thummim that would take and he would have had the seeking the Lord. That's like, I need to seek God's word. Give me the Urim and Thummim that was used in the Old Testament in a way to communicate with God so God could communicate like his word back to him. He asks the question, he saws, he threw out the Urim and Thummim, got the response back of what he's to do in that response. That's how God communicated. But that is not how he communicates today. The Lord does not understand this. The Urim and Thummim was, were, is not for today. It was for in the Old Testament. God would no more bless this kind of Urim and Thummim thing today that people try to do in churches. He would not bless that. He would not reestablish Old Testament priesthood either. These things are from the Old Testament. That's not the New Testament. In the New Testament, he brings his word. His word is how he speaks to us. Yes, the day of the Old Testament priesthood in the past, that's how he communicated. But in, especially in David's day, and he did that. He just commanded the Lord, Lord, what do we do? God used and communicated through that method. But today we have the same focus. Our focus is on the word of God. He will guide us by his word. What does that mean? Lord, I'm in really deep place here. Open up the word, my brother and sister. Start reading the word of God. And he will use the word of God to communicate to you what he wants you to do. It takes faith. But that's what we're to do. We don't throw lots. We don't go to Ouija boards. We don't go to little magic balls. 
We don't ask 20 people. We seek the Lord and allow him to speak to us through his word. Very important for us. But here David, coming back from this backsliding moment, he brings everything to the feet of the Lord. And he asks the Lord, I'm not taking another step unless you tell me what to do. And so God gave David something to pursue. You will pursue. And then God gave David a promise in doing. You will surely overtake them and without fail over recover all. So when God gives us something to do, mark this, my brothers and sisters. When God gives us something to do, he also gives us a promise in the doing. If it's of God, he'll give us a promise in the doing, and it's confirmed by the word of God. Verse 9, so David went, he and, his, and the 600 men who were with him, and came to Brook Bashar, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and the 400 men, or 200, stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook of Bashor. So they get to this point, they become this big brook, and some of the 200 men are just too weak. They can't continue to continue to pursue. They can't even make it across. It's going to take strength and energy to take everything across here. So God told David to go and pursue, but God didn't say that there weren't going to be some other challenges in between that point and when you recover all. There could be some additional challenges that are going to meet. In this case, there was a big river, and some men, 200 of them, were not strong enough to continue. Remember, these are the people who are almost ready to kill them. Mutiny. Now he's being strengthened by the Lord, so much so that it now encourages these 600 men to even, even if they're weak, to go with him. Because they still believe that God speaks to And they had clarity from God. So here they go, because, and, and I think deep within, it's like, I'm going to go get my wife, I'm going to go get my children, I'm going to get my stuff. They took it, we're going to go. But then they find this next challenge. It could be discouraging for some, but I don't think it was discouraging to David at all. With 600 men or, with, or just himself, he was going. Because God told him, go, you'll recover it all. And so 200 men had to stay behind to watch the stuff. Look here in verse, verse 11. Then they found... Uh, as they were watching the stuff, they leave the 200, the 400 with David, continue across the water, and they head, right? So here we find, then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate. And they let him drink water, and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drink, drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of, of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind, because three days ago I fell sick. 
we made an invasion of the southern area of the uh, Karathites in the territory which belongs to Judah and in the southern area of Caleb, and we burn Ziglag with fire. Ting, ding, 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 ding. Uh-oh, one of the guys that was part of the deal here. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my, sir, my master, and I will take you down to this troop. Pause for a moment. Think about this. They're going. They're losing 200. Okay, we're down to 400 plus us. We're still going to go. We're going to get our wives and our people back. God promised this. We're going to deliver. I don't know how he's going to do it, but we're going to do it. And then all of a sudden you start seeing things happening in your life that lines up that you know these. this is God. God brought an Egyptian young man who was in a place who was rejected and left to die. And they not only just didn't, they didn't interrogate him. They just literally gave him his knees, meaning showing compassion, showing love to a man they don't even know. And then they find out in the process of showing kindness and love, they could have just said, forget you, we're busy, we're going. No, no, he still took the time to show kindness and love to a stranger, and God was using that as an honor. And he says, I can take exactly where to go. You don't have to go chase the, the countryside looking. I will take you directly to the camp. That's God. That's how God shows up. In these little moments there where you're like, oh, of all the people is a young Egyptian man who was part of the deal. And notice the language. We made in an invasion. We burned Ziggah. This young man was one of the people who were destroyed their place and took their people. But notice David looked past that and said, yes. Obviously said, okay, I'm not going to kill you. I want you to go show me where the troops are. So here David and his men showing unexpected kindness, showing mercy to this young man who looked like he was about to die, obviously. He was left there to, be, to die. But God provided a way to find and encourage him even more during this period of time that how he, God was going to guide their steps. When you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, he shall direct your path. Here he is directing their paths through this young man. God showed David unexpected blessing and grace and mercy through this all. And look how David has shown unexpected blessing and grace and mercy upon this young man. Verse 16. And when he had brought him down, there they were spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight. That, language, that, that word there, the ancient word there, means early, early dawn. Not twilight as in like we think of a, a nighttime going into darkness, but literally in the, twi in the, in the morning, um, uh, morning time. Until the evening of the next day, not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites, right? Notice that David recovered all. The promise of God was fulfilled right there that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and the herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. 
God fulfilled his promise. When God makes a promise, it's going to come to fruition. We may not know how it's all going to go, but he's going to make that happen. These people were sitting there drinking and marrying and just having a whooping it up because of all of the things they did. Why? Because they were self-confident. The fact that the Philistines and the Israelites were up north battling, they were down here going, we don't have to worry about anything, anybody. We're having a great time. No, there's no enemy that's going to come against us. They were relaxed. The guard was down. Perfect timing for God to bring David and his men to come in. And, and take, take care of them. Some got away on camels. 400 of them. But God gave David and his men a complete victory. Why? Because David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. God inquired of the Lord. David did what God told him to do. He was obedient. God showed unexpected care and kindness of others. He was still showing care and kindness to others. It wasn't so self-focused. God's promise came true. And all of this, they got back everything that they lost, plus all of the loot from the enemy that was left behind. All the spoils becomes David's spoils. All those other livestock that was part of the enemies, he gets all of that. All of that God gave to David in more than what he promised. You'll recover all, but then God showed a blessing and gave him more than all that he was going to recover. That's how God does it. David did not deserve to recover all of it, let alone get more than what he was recovering of all. But that's how God works. What a blessing. What's, what's grace? He didn't deserve any of that. Verse 21. Now David came to the 200 men. Now they're working their way back. And they picking up. Now they come across the river. Now they're picking the 200 men uh, up there where they left behind with all, the, all the, the stuff of theirs who had been so weary that they could not follow David whom they also had made uh, to stay at the brook of Bishor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. And then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, their hearts were not right. These, were, these men were pretty angry, it appears, because they did not go with us. We will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what God has given us. Forget, remember all this stuff you got? Don't forget who gave this to us. Now you're going to be wicked in your hearts like this and tell these men who could not physically do, but watched all of our stuff back here to lighten our load so that we could go to, to go battle and then look how God battled. You're going to turn on these people? Wait a minute. The Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this manner? What do I mean? Where, you don't have no grounds to stand on in that response. But as his part is, 
is who goes down to the battle. Notice this is a principle he's going to lay out here. And it's going to be across the board here. He says, but as his part, this everyone has their part in the mission. But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Here you are, David. 400 men. No supplies to weigh them down. Swift pursuit. Being guided by God providing a, a guide for them to go right directly there, not wasting any time. Wiping them out. Getting all their, their recovery as God promised, plus all the stuff that came from the enemy. They're coming back, and you got some people's heart, instead of keeping their minds focused upon God's just glorifying God and, and just praising Him of what He's provided and restored and all this stuff. No, they turn wicked and turn on, on, the, on the people. It's amazing how many times. You can help people and help them through a just a very, very, very difficult time. Help them through, encourage them to be strengthened by the Lord, and and watch God doing a work and and saving their family or saving their kids and restoring their families or restoring their lives and all of this stuff. And then they turn around, and they turn on people. It's it's always been a shocking for me. God's grace is in helping you through all this, and you turn around, and then you turn on me for helping you. It, 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 it's, it's, it's always shocked me in the ministry all these years. But when I read this, I'm encouraged. Okay, there's nothing new under the sun. But he called it out. David said, my brother, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Can you go back to remember this? You only have what, because God gave this to back to us. You have to understand, there are many in the mission field. There's many in the ministry who serve the Lord invisibly. They're behind the scenes. You don't even know how much they do for God. And often supporting even more than those who are visible. See, God will support the hidden servant with the same reward as a prominent visual servant. See, the wicked and this worthless men looked at the spoil and what they did to make it happen. David looked at the spoil and said, no, no, no. Look at what the Lord has given us. See, when you look at everything in your life about this is what God has given us. He has given us this, or our spouse, our children. These are blessings and gifts from God. You have to see it from his perspective. But when you say, this is what I've accomplished. This is what I've done. This is what I got. This is what I went and get. Your heart's not right. So when the Lord gave David a great victory, he saw it as the Lord's victory. It's not our victory. It's the Lord's victory. 
It's more of his. It's him. And he made it very clear in the nation of Israel. He made a statute and an ordinance. This is what it is going forward. And lastly, verses 26 through 31. And now when David came to Ziglag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of, of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord to those who were in Bethel, those who were within Ramoth of the south, of those who were in Atar, those who were in Aror, those who were in Sifoth, those who were in Eshtimal, those who were in Rakal, those who were in the cities of Jeremelites, whatever there, those who were in the cities of the Kenites, those who were in Hormah, those who were in the Korashan, Korashan, those who were in Athic, and those who were in Hebron and all the, uh, all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove, meaning he was destroying these places. When he was living in Ziglag and he was going out, he was going all around causing all kinds of problems. But what happened here, and let's close with this, is that David recognized and now he's, he's trying to reconcile to the people in Israel. He had abandoned them. He had gone to the enemy. He was making, roving all around and causing all kinds of problems. He now, God has provided him this spoil to now turn around. And now David knew that it was the, the Philistine relationship straying God's people. And now he knew he must do whatever he could to bring things right again. So he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah. It was that final step in David's getting things right with, with those who he went against. When you're in a backslidden state, you have to, many times, have to go and, and ask for forgiveness and, and reconcile with people because you, you, you've gone on the deep end and it caused a rippling effect with people around you. And so he's saying, hey, we went and conquered the city. And, he, and he, David sent out spoil to, to battle more than 13 cities. He's just sending them out and saying, hey, I took care of the enemy and here's the spoil. We're trying to make men's here. Jesus. Now let's bring back you know, the focus here on Jesus. He brought spoil for his people too. We see that in Ephesians Chapter four, verses seven and eight says, "But if, but to each one who, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts to men. And Jesus has, Jesus is basically his spoil from his victory of his life. Now he gives back. He gives to the spoil." And David is kind of a, a picture of Jesus here in this chapter. He, he, he's showing, he's coming back, he's, he's, he's giving back, he's reconciling. There's, there's this, this, this thing that we're going to see in the next chapter and close out 1 Samuel. So next week we'll, we'll wrap that up and uh, we're at the top of the hour. Father, we just again thank you and praise you for your grace and your mercy upon our lives, Lord. I pray that you would just bless each and every one who's come tonight and those who's listening, that you would, in the days to come, Lord, that you would just 
there's anyone here backsliding who's listening to my voice right now, who's in a backslidden state, they've been walking away, they're not, they're just not living with you, Lord, in a way they know they shouldn't. I pray tonight you spoke to their hearts. They're repenting. They're just surrendering all. They're just weeping to you, Lord, crying for your mercy and grace. And restore them, Lord, of your love and your grace and your mercy upon them and bring them close to you, Lord. May they have a desire to draw close to you and you will draw close to them, the Bible says. So I pray for all those who are in backslidden states, Lord, that they would be broken and come back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.